HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Thomas Carter and Louis Fabrini of Estella, Cafe Altro Paradiso, and Flora Bar, all in New York City. We'll talk to Thomas and Louis about their restaurants, some interesting wines, small plates, and a lot more. We'll taste the Vouvray for our, from the Loire for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Thomas Carter is the proprietor of Estella, Cafe Altra Paradiso, and Flora Bar. Louis Fabrini is the beverage director of Estella and Cafe Altra Paradiso, all in New York City. Together, they oversee the wine and food at some of New York City's hottest restaurants. Both come to the game with a strong restaurant background where wine is as interesting and as important as the food. Mm. Right? Welcome to the show, Lewis and Thomas. Thanks. Thank Good you. Good to have you guys here. I want our listeners just to get a little sense of uh, who's sitting in these chairs. So give me a little background about your journey in life, wine, restaurants that got you to where both of you guys are, which is, you know, this group of restaurants. Thomas, start with you. You sure you don't want Lewis to start? I think you should start. <laughs> Why? I want <laughs> the least kidding. boring guy uh, last. I, well, I think you chose uh, the wrong people. Oh, boy. Um, restaurants. You know, I, I started in restaurants to put myself through art school. And then I bartended. In, in Chicago? In Chicago. Right. And then, you know, like growing up in Chicago, you know, you, you I grew up with very, like, kind of uh, basic Ashkenazi fare and then peppered with some, you know, there was like a, <laughs> I grew up on, like, the cusp of, of Evanston and Skokie. So you would have, like, you know, like some, you know, like fast food to us was like the pita in which is falafel. So that was like the big food experience was falafel. It actually was, it was pretty, pretty good falafel. It was amazing. Sure. So, you know, like I didn't, the biggest food item that I, or like the most like memorable food thing that I had growing up was olive oil. We had a, a next door, like a really good family friend by the name of uh, Victoria Ladaudi. That was an exotic thing or something? Well, for me it was. Like <laughs> we didn't fucking have olive oil. Like I tried <laughs> olive oil at his house when I was like seven and it like blew my hair back. I, I, I still can taste, I mean, so anyways, uh, after art school, I went with a friend, a girlfriend to the south of France. And, you know, and immediately as I start to eat, I'm like, you know, I've never been interested in art is at the same level as how it quickly I became over inundated and totally, uh, you know, like sucked in by food. And I just felt duped. I, I kind of at the same time as began to be very upset with my parents for for feeding us such shit. 
But, you know, it's not their fault. They were in the Midwest. Boiled we bag green beans or something. No, it was just like whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, stuffed peppers was like a big thing in our Like, it was like that was the... But anyways, um, so I stopped. I didn't know I was going to do an art anyways. I was kind of a crap artist. I was doing photography and painting. Um, and then uh, went to art, went to culinary school at uh, CIA in Hudson Valley. Up here in New York. Yeah. And then I Up cooked for a while in the city. I cooked for uh, like Union Pacific and really loved cooking. I loved like this silence. So you came out of there as a cook? A yeah, yeah. Okay. I still, I mean, I'm not as good. We'll tell people that's not where you wound up. So you finished yeah. CIA. Finished CIA, cooked for a little bit, then went back to CIA to do this. I don't know why I already had a bachelor's degree, so I went back for another degree in like uh, business administration. And like the hook for me was like you did this immersion program out in Northern California. You spent a little time at right. UC Davis. Is you it traveled. the wine program? Yeah, the but wine is, immersion. We were the first. We were the first stream that actually did this wine thing. So I went out there, and that kind of had my kind of like uh, embodied my anthropological background, and and um, which was minimal. I was at my minor in, in college, but. Um, did that and cooked in the city for a while and then decided that I, I don't think I would be as useful in the kitchen um, after I got into so many fights in the Union Pacific which kitchen, which was a great restaurant, I thought. What, wasn't that... Um, Rocco. Rocco di Spirito. Cooked there. So wait, was it more skills or personality that got in the way? Or Pers- per, for sure, personality. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, okay. I, not that I was that great in the kitchen, but I mean, right. it was definitely personality. Um but then I got a really interested in wine. Then I came back and um, I tried to get a job. I, I kept bothering David Lynch at Babo, and he was he asked me three questions. He asked me like, "What are the three active volcanoes in in uh, Sicily, Italy?" Italy. And he's like, "What is the river that traverses like uh, Piedmont?" And I didn't know anything. He's like, oh, "You can't fucking work here." So he put me at Otto, and they I worked under Morgan Rich, and he schooled me for about. You know, eight or nine months until I can afford Oto to work. was is Mario Batali's pizza yeah. place in the village. This is like 2004. Right. Like, so right when they opened, it was actually epic. Like the wine list there yeah. was amazing. Beautiful space. Amazing. Yeah. Like I learned, I learned a lot. And Morgan and was And you got in, engaged more oh yeah. at that point. Yeah. I just kind of got like, I was always, it's, wine still is something that's endlessly fascinating and I've never really, like, I learn a lot from Lewis now. Like I came out of, I went from Oto and then... And then I couldn't afford to work there anymore, and I served for a quick stint at Gotham because I had to make some more money. And then I couldn't do any. I was like, I was a good server, but I just couldn't hold people's hands for that long. I couldn't sit there and fucking talk to them for so long. <laughs> and then the night I walked out is when some lady put uh, ice in a bottle of Montrachet DRC, and I was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> so I left Gotham, and then I was kind of in the dumps because I left Gotham. I broke up. What year are we at now? This is like 2006. Okay. Whenever. This was right when Ducasse opened in the Essex House. So then I turned around and got a job at the Essex House as a as it's just a straight psalm, but I was a Comey, and then it was like working back in the kitchen again because I had to eat shit again for a couple of years before I started to become like a full psalm, which is great because you go and you think you know something when you really don't know anything. So but I, I would out. think their wine list was fairly... Uh, it was extensive. super traditional, very right. extensive, very... That's expected. Yeah, right. yeah. It was very deep in, in Loire, like Domaine Loire. They, they, they had everything, though. I mean, they had, you know, it's like, you know, it was very deep. And, like, right. the, cheap, the cheap juice was, it was Jantas. So it was like, <laughs> so I cut my teeth on some good stuff. And, like, every, every night at the end of the night, there would always be, like, empty bottles of all this random stuff. It was like, you know, DRC was like whatever. We were empty always, or a little left? No, 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 no. Sorry, did I say empty? I meant, like, like uh, half-drinking bottles or, right. you know, there was... A couple of people would come in and they just wanted the 85 Cristal Rosé and they would leave a half a bottle for us. And, you know, Claire Dow, 60s, Bonmar, and like all these great old wines that I was really fortunate to cut my teeth on. So I'm coming out of these, you know, then I went from there to La Bernadette to Blue Hill at Storm Barnes. But I've come out of, you know... I've when bought, did you get to Blue Hill? Uh, I started Blue Hill in 08. And it's significant because you stayed there... For six years, yeah. Right. Five and a half, six years. Right. I mean, yeah, it was a, amazing. A, a you know, growing process for you too yeah i kicked my ass for a lot of years okay. like you know on many levels like personally very growing you know dan barber is probably one of the smartest guys i've ever met and worked for and you like you know i mean he's a prick but he's amazing yeah he's an amazing person all right so let's finish up because i want to hear from lewis so you do the blue hill stint six years you end when and then that gets you to 2012 
uh, I met Ignacio through a guy that was had this company called Permisi. Ignacio's Ignacio Matos, yep. who's your partner and chef. Indeed. At Estella. Correct. Which was your first restaurant. Uh-huh. Which was when? 2013 June. All right, so we're going to stop there because I want to come back and talk all about, right. you know, the, the Ignacio and all that. Let's talk to Lewis for a second. So Lewis is uh, considerably younger than Thomas. Not that much. No, on, I'm joking. I, I said that to, to Ryle. I said that to Ryle. Yeah, it's a decade. Lewis, tell me, tell me about your journeys in wine and restaurant that got you to where you are now. Sure. Um, I grew up like an hour outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Um, my first job was at a pizza place, just because it was either that or some kind of fast food establishment. Um, after that, after high school, I moved to New York with really no direction and no other discernible skills. So I continued. No college? No. Um, okay. Just continued working in restaurants and uh, found it kind of more rewarding the more seriously I took it. Um, I, I managed some places here for a couple of years. Uh, I moved to San Francisco just to, to kind of check out the food scene there. Um, I worked for. What year are we at? This in is San 2010, Francisco? 2011. Okay. Um, five, five years ago. Yeah, there I met a guy named Chris Wright, who was the wine director for a group called Delfina. Um, they have a couple restaurants, and that was the dude that really gave me, the kind of turned wine from being like something I was afraid of that I knew I needed to know a little bit about on the side just to, to work in a restaurant into something that was kind of a... To round you out a little more? Yeah, just like what you have to know to not right. look stupid But on at the that point, no deep interest or passion to be, you know, no, a wine guy. more fear uh, than anything, <laughs> okay. for sure. And then he was like, he was, his, his whole demeanor was like so chill and it made it just like, just like anything else you'd be into is like any other kind of hobby. And that approach was super refreshing. Um, and that was what kind of gave me the bug to go a little bit deeper into it. So I worked there for a while. Um, I worked abroad for a while, came back to New York in 2015. And then I've been at, uh, with these guys for a couple of years, just under two years now, I guess. Great. Two years. Yeah. All right. Wow. So, uh. So currently, you guys are together. So, <laughs> for currently, currently. <laughs> for the duration of this interview, yes. By men in this room, we'll see how this not careers goes. or anything. <laughs> um, all right, so Thomas, let's talk about when and how you came up with Estella. You were starting to get into Ignacio, and I think that starts the answers to the question. Yeah, uh, this guy Mark Connell, who owned Barbotanica, we used to come up to Blue Hill. It's like I harvested everything on a Blue Hill. Now no Barbotanica is a bar, ironically, underneath. Yeah, current Estella. It's not that ironic. I mean, that's how it went down. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, like Blue Hill was very good. I met, like, uh, Mark up there. I met this gentleman by the name of uh, John Magazzino, who owned a co an importing company called Permisi at the time. And he used to import really great pastas and sell them to Franny's. RIP. Right. Moment of silence for Franny's. Um, at any rate, uh, he introduced me to Ignacio. I was like, I have this space. I need a chef. I'm like, I can't. I'm like, I'm not doing this unless I have somebody really serious. And he's like, what about Ignacio? And Ig and I didn't know any, each other at all. Like, we are business partners first and friends second. Like, Ig is like a brother to me, but we're still, you know, we started out as business partners. And when we met, we didn't really hit it off. We didn't not hit it off, but... Different types of guys. Yeah. Now, Iggy is from Uruguay? Yeah, exactly. Right. So we... Um, She's not from down the block. Totally. But, you know, we all spoke the same language which is the restaurant language which is you know which is a great thing about this industry is it's more similar when you start to work with people from you, you know there's there's a big uh, fat you know it's very fashionable to do events with chefs from all over the world now and pop-ups and it's the same shit it really is but any at any rate um ig and i we worked it out and we opened up estella and we had no idea that it would kind of estella is like giving it was like each one of these restaurants is giving birth to something you really have no control over. Describe it, you know? the food. Because, you know, a lot of kudos to the food. Very inventive. Oh, For I mean, people who don't know, how, how, how would you describe it? I don't know. I think, I, it's got yeah. small plates? No, I don't know. I don't, people always say, like, the plates them physically are small. I would say <laughs> that they are the exact amount of food that one should be taking in. They're small plates by, like, you traditional help Americans. me here. You I have know, to... You there's know, small I, plates I, by American standards, but like no, I think there's there's there per, it's a perfect. So why is that not small plates or like a tapas type presentation? It's you're the guy who has tapas. to break. 
like calling it tapas is like calling uh, La Brenda down a sushi restaurant. Okay. You know, seafood like, joint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's uh, you know, the the food is is Ignacio. Ignacio, I feel like communicates best through food. It's like sometimes I don't know what the fuck he's saying, but when he cooks, I'm like, fuck me. So it's incredibly. Sorry, sorry, it's all right. It's incredibly inventive. It's 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 a perspective. You know, it's Ig's perspective. Now you're I mean, he, close. You know, it's it's his perspective on life through the scope of food. And there's no real way to pinpoint it unless you experience it. You know, it's like he's like, you know, it's, and the food is brilliant. So let's let's talk about the wine. Interesting wine list. Was the wine list designed or influenced, obviously, by the food and the cooking? Absolutely. Food. You know, you sit there and go, what goes with this stuff? Because just... Lewis, help me here. Describe the wine list, the strengths, you know, the variety, why it goes well with sure. the food. Sure. I mean, I think the first thing is is that it's a pretty, I mean, knowing how good the food is that, that comes out of the kitchen there, it's a pretty, like, audacious thing to say, oh, we've got this wine list that, you know, in some ways, you know, supports or enhances this this really great food that the kitchen puts out. Um, and so, I mean, that's that's part of it, just, you know, in, in a matter of taste, Um we also try to, I think, to, to capture a little bit of, like, the vibe of the place, the energy of the place, and that there, yeah. there's this really great, I mean, yeah, small plates, I guess, but there's also, like, the way the menu reads and the way the food is presented and plated, there's, like, a really good balance or, or tension, I guess, between something very familiar and something very adventurous at the same time. Um, so how does the wine reflect? It's kind of the that? same thing. I mean, we're, we're trying to, I mean, we represent a lot of, of classical European wine regions. Um, we just try and make selections that, you know, still deliver and are still delicious and are and are still approachable in some way, but that also have an element of, you know, surprise or subversion or, or just something slightly askew. Um, you know, obviously still making sure that they're 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 well made wines and that they're, you know, speaking of where they're from, but also kind of feeling the, the charge to make sure that there's a little bit more intrigue, to them. So when you got there, Thomas. You pretty much put the wine list together, and then yeah. was anyone helping you before Lewis? Yeah, uh, I put the wine list together with Matthew Coudry, and it was, is, uh, he, I met him at Blue Hill. He was a server, and he's butted into like an amazing psalm in all respects. But we came out of a very classical. T- I came out of a very classical time, and and so did Matthew. Matthew was learning from me. So Lewis has done a much better job with the wine list now than well, I was going to ask. I how did. have you changed it, evolved it, updated? The, I mean, you let him. Yeah, it's still a wine list now. You know, it's a really it's the best time to drink wine in kind of the history of wine. It, there's now, can, I, I think so. I mean, it depends on what you like, but you know. But, so that's a pretty bold statement. Based on what? There's just a lot of great stuff out there. There's new... Sorry, let me retool that statement. It's the best time to drink wine in America in the history of wine. Okay. In America. As far as what you can get Uh, now. What what we can get. And also, you know, you have a lot of different movements in wine, as you did in food. And you, just like you have this movement in wine, it was like the punk rock movement, which we get this analogy where punk rock was like smaller production in the face of big production. Right. You know, and you know, in a, in a nutshell, painting a broad stroke. And you're finding the same thing in wine. And what's happening is you are bringing in a whole different demographic because the old guard of wine, I, I still like, look, man, I, if I go to Paris, I'm going to Tour d'Argent and I'm going to drink some old Burgundy that I can't get here or can't afford. So, But you're also going to go to Septime or Clown Bar or something. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. You do both. Yeah, exactly. But um, what's happening is all those great old wines, unfortunately, get hold very held very tightly by a certain demographic that's very, um, very protective and elitist. So you're and, talking it's accessibility now. Yeah, and now it's like it's the greatest triumph of the, net, like, uh, quote, natural wine movement um, is that it's bringing a whole new demographic into the fold and it's super important you know so what can you do lewis what can you do at an estella that you can't do at other restaurants i mean thomas alluded to the fact that i guess millennials different demos different people are out there looking are at you the a millennial list. i'm not sure i don't know what, I don't know what that <laughs> is but what can you do at an estella that you can't do at a blue you didn't Hill? tell me that before you came on. all right we'll take the fight <laughs> off the air but for now um i think I just the pedigree of the restaurant, people are, are approaching it kind of expecting to be something to be a little bit 
more adventurous, which I think I mean, I'm not sure. I never worked at at Blue Hill, but um, but you would suspect. I would suspect, that. but I mean, every the kind of everything about Estella in particular, like from the moment you arrive, it's it's above you know it's above and adjacent to two dive bars, and you know you have people that will visit New York and go to you know Eleven Madison Park per se and Estella, and it's it's pretty jarring. You can tell that right. it's, it's a very different you know vibe than they're used and people to. People will sample all those places and leave with the same. You know, feeling. Hope, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, because what but. you present, wine-wise, food-wise, is equally the experience of some of. The, I remember the year you opened. I went with my wife. You were there. I said, "Pick something within a price range. Give me something funky and different." And left it to you. And you gave me a bottle of wine, a red from the Canary Islands. Did I? Yeah. Mm. Now you wouldn't nice. necessarily get that at. A I thought I gave you the Canon. No, no, it was definitely a Canary Island one. Oh. Um, yes. So that's that's why you can do stuff there. All right, so not to be modest here or whatever, but Estella's been voted one of the 50 best restaurants in the world. Actually, number 66, but the list is called the best 50. But to be on that list is a high honor, and you guys made that, right? Yeah. And there's thousands of restaurants in new york and i can't let you guys or i can't thomas let you leave without talking about the fact that president obama came into the restaurant yeah you know i mean you, you kind of look back and go okay but i mean there's some pretty damn good restaurants in new york and a lot of them and he landed there if we look back there's not too many other places so just because you can talk to me about that experience a little do you have to clear the place out pain in the ass fun what um, uh, you know, I don't sweat celebrities too much, but Obama like brought me to tears. He did? I mean, just the thought of him coming in, I was like very, I don't know, it's, it's huge. I mean, he's, I, I love him. <laughs> right. No, but he, uh, you know, it was a pretty amazing experience. You know, we were very honored to have him in. Um, it's a big it's deal. A, it's a huge deal. It's you know, in the deal. type of restaurant. I mean, this is not a big grand parlor. I mean, this is a very dark, cool, neat, tight space. Yeah, it was really funny when the. I mean, I think it's so far after this, we can we can talk about it now. But like, uh, it was um, it was funny because when the Secret Service guys got in there and they're looking around, <laughs> when they're looking around, they're like, "This is the place." They were like, <laughs> they were like looking in the kitchen. They're looking around, and um, it was you, interesting. Do you, my oldest son asked me to ask you this. Do you remember what you served him, what he drank wine-wise? You know, he didn't drink wine. It's not a secret, wine. is it? He, he didn't? didn't drink wine. Really? His, um, I gave him the, I gave his friends at the table the 2001 uh, Multiple Chiano, uh, what's that one, the Paradiso or the the red label, with, it comes with like a little annoying like tag on it. What is uh, that? Presidium. Presidium, yeah. I, he, uh, 2001, that's Multiple Chiano de Bruzzo, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Presidium 01, they drank that, and then he he banged out like some, I believe, martinis. Really? And then the he called me over the table and asked why we didn't have an espresso machine. And he's like, "What are you too cool? You're too cool for espresso." I'm like, "No, we just can't execute. The space is too small. We can't execute it." So he noticed there wasn't one, or it wasn't on the menu, and he kind of busted your chops a little. Yeah, it was, he was, he's he's amazing. He makes you feel very comfortable. Yeah, I mean, my with my. Two seconds. I think his FaceTime. intention was to bust on you, not to make you feel bad. Of course, you yeah. I, I would. Did I you would, ever get could, an espresso machine? No, we still don't. Okay. There's just there's no space for it. It's too tiny. All right, so that's a good way to end, Estella. Let's move to uh, you have great success critically, um, recognition-wise at Estella. You open up with Iggy. Yeah. Your second place, uh, sort of west down the street, long walk. But, you know, a downtown restaurant, you open Cafe Altro Paradiso. How'd that come about? There was a motivation and an inspiration that said, let's do another one. We, you know, this, the space was getting a little small for just Ig and I. Um, and we liked the partnership, so we wanted to expand. Um, the realist, we like fringe areas. I like that area a lot, actually. And then we were looking at that space, and there was like a Uruguayan hero statue in that park so we're like well that closed that's well, karma right <laughs> and they were like damn it and like Ig saw the statue he's like it's an omen and i'm like my people would call it but shared and um so we took the space and we were totally unprepared at first to develop a performa for that size of a restaurant but in hindsight i wouldn't have changed anything it was it took us to school 
it taught us a lot, you know, it, you know, like opening up and with our, we have, Ignacio and I both have very similar, we're very different, but we, our aesthetics are very sparse. We like very simple aesthetics and we feel like you, this, the food needs to speak. So why have any culinary crutches around the restaurant that would detour from the food? Like the wine list, we talked about wine list before, wine lists are there to support the food. That's what it is. Well, it's I, a restaurant. So Lewis, the wine list would you say is predominantly or skews more Italian? Almost uh, 100%. Almost, okay. Yeah. Almost. almost. A little champagne. But. Okay. So where Estella is more eclectic, this yeah. supports the food because the food is, there's more Italian offerings. You had trouble yeah. describing Estella to me. This is easier to describe. Yeah. You know, like the food there is, is it's, the food there is very, very high quality market driven almost like a California American take on Italian food, non-regionally specific. It's the kind of food that we kind of crave all the time that you can eat. It. The, the idea is to eat it when you can, you can eat there every day and you feel good. That, that sounds very tantalizing. I no, mean, but that, food, that's a heck of a neighborhood restaurant. The neighborhood is a triumph now. Yeah. I mean, sorry, the restaurant, I mean, if the you live in the neighborhood a, to have a place like that, the restaurant is, you know, a it's market now. driven. So everything's, you know, seasonal, fresh, no, super fresh. And yeah. Ig, Ig is, um, really committed to putting that, that quality on the plate, which is All right, great. So Lewis, you, you must've strolled, um, down this path. You have to stock up, you know, on Italian, so you put a variety. I'm more curious and interested on your take about, tell me about some emerging, cool Italian wine regions, wines, winemakers, you know, besides Barolo, Barbaresco, Chianti, uh, Brunello. I mean, sure. tell I me mean, some good stuff to look for. I think, I mean, just... Generally speaking, Italy is really the one country I think that you can do a list, you know, nearly exclusively um, with wines from that country, and it, it makes sense just because I mean, from top to bottom, every right. every province is producing. I mean, there's you know, there's a thousand native um, grape varieties and and really like an infinite kind of um, array of flavors. Uh, that's one part I like about the list at Ultra very much, and kind of coming from the menu too, is that it's it's just like vaguely Italian. I mean, saying Italian food or saying Italian wine is, is like saying right. With Iggy, Chinese food. Like it doesn't it doesn't really apply. It doesn't really mean anything, you know. Right. Um, and the menu there is fun because it goes from like you have uh, mustard du Cremona from Lombardy, and the next menu item has you know Calabrian chilies from the south, and it's it's kind of all over the place. So we take a cue from that with the wine list, and and you know certainly it's. A little bit skewed towards Piedmont and Tuscany, just because there's so much to, right. to delve but into. Get out there, of that. Give me some interesting wines. I mean, Sicily is has had its is having its moment. It's been going on for a while. Right. Um, there's great producers. You know, Etna is is fascinating just because of the diversity of of soil types you have there. It being a, a big volcano. Um, Predominant grape is Norello. Yeah, you see Norello Mascalese right. mostly, and then uh, Norello Capuccio, which is its little blending partner. You see Caracante for a white grape, um, which makes like really like kind of screeching high acid, kind of textural, um, Good really food interesting wine. wines. Great For food sure. wine. Yeah. I mean, that's a great thing about Italian yeah. wines, yeah. Like full, it's nice too because like it's a fuller in style, but still has really good freshness and acidity. So Caracante works for a, a lot of pairings. Um, stuff out of the southeast, like the Valdonoto, you know, Frappato, Nero Davola, um, Catarato, Grillo, those kind of grapes. So Sicily, I mean, that's that's nothing new. Um, a lot more serious winemaking in places like Campania. Uh, yeah, Fiano is. You see, yeah, like the, those kind of of native Fiano the grape, Fiano d'Avellino, or mm-hmm. it's very curious variety that shows its face in very you know it 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 has the maker's hand on it often, but um, I think it's a very exciting. I don't know all those that whole region like Campania wines in general, like Alianico Fiano, like those wines. I mean, especially like when when we're eating, like when I like to eat, if I'm gonna have a cocktail, it's not gonna be with food. But with food, I mean, Italian wines. I mean, Italian wine is, I think, both of our first kind of like our You roots. have a diversity of regions and types of varietals to yeah. match to the food. Mm-hmm. For sure. So Campania and Sicily, a lot of stuff in there. And you see, I mean, just broadly, you see more of a movement away from, you know, more extracted, more oaky, more conventional things meant to, to appeal a movement to the away you away said. from that yeah. I think I mean it makes sense if you're trying to make a name for yourself on like the international wine stage to produce those kind of wines that are going to draw a little bit more attention from you know big publications but now you're seeing more movement towards just a pretty frank assessment of 
of what these you know weird little indigenous groups can be. Um, yeah. So it's, that's it's definitely an exciting time for, for yeah. that in Italy. Um, I want to talk about Florovar for a minute, but sure. after that, I want to get your take on natural wines too. Um, so finally, Thomas, you open your third restaurant, Flora Bar. This one's out of the neighborhood. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> this is, so you open Flora Bar, you open it in the old Whitney, the Met Breuer, mm-hmm. um, and you open it when? Take it from there. A year ago today. Okay. Mazel tov. Thank you. All right. Uh, Floral Floral Buyer is something we worked on. It kind of came along while we were working on Ultra, which in a perfect world, some restaurateurs can handle multiple restaurant openings in in very quick succession, which is not our MO. We we just don't we didn't have that bandwidth to start you know <laughs> it's funny they were asking us like can you guys do this do you have the bandwidth and we we're like yeah of course yeah of course we have the bandwidth which we did because we're not we say no well of course not <laughs> yeah. but you know we set up a structure quickly we overstructured which is good and we opened it and Flora takes its DNA from Estella it was like it's it got its starter from Estella the food. Yeah, the it's, the same, is, it's the same DNA in the space. I mean, I've looked at the menu. But the wine list, and we'll get to that in a second, is a little more European, traditional. Well, it's exactly. It's It still takes its cues. Most of our wine list have, most of the wines are European. The wine list there is the most classical out of all the Classical is what I right? mean. Classical, classic yeah. European. Matthew has got a very, he's got a brilliant palate. He heads it up. I you know, like right now, like is this Matthew who helped you exactly. with the Estella? Exactly, he's Same the guy? wine director okay. there. I operate as more of like an EIC, right? Where I don't write any stories anymore. I just kind of buzz in and out, and you know, with like both of them, with Lewis and Matthew, like I'm in a position now where I'm more the student. Like I'm learning. Like the, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I was diving so deeply into development of the of those two places, and now is the fourth place, which you know we'll talk about it at some other date. But, um, uh, you know, that I didn't have time for the wine. And also, you know, doing it for a while, it kind of, you know. Is there a wine bar feel to Flora or is it Not at a restaurant? All. No. Not at all. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I read it in, sure. the, in the Times Review. I saw that there, too. And I'd been in there and I didn't get that vibe. It's the opposite you know, it's a beautiful of a wine bar. Spe- yeah. It's like the opposite of a yeah. wine bar. But uh, Flora, the food is seafood-based. Uh, once again, it takes its DNA from Estella, like very, you know, it's got a little bit more of like an Asian gearing, you know, veering towards, you know, uh, central China, a little bit, a little bit, and Japanese aesthetic of so minimalism. So he, he got to expand even more there. Yeah, for sure. And Which is cool. The food there is epic. Yeah. You know, it's really correct. And it's it's great wine or great food for wine. Actually, all the restaurants are really exciting to build wine lists around because Estella, ultra the least because it's very like simple food, but Estella and Flora require wine to, to really to really have that door open complement and, and make the experience to support the food complete. And, and open it. You know, yeah. it's really it's like it's almost like a camera without a lens if you don't have a bottle of wine. The lens really completes the picture. What uh, like that? One? I, I guess the wine list potentially has to be. Dictated by the location, you're dealing with an Upper East Side clientele. I know it's become a destination restaurant, and people will come from all over, but I'm sure people in the neighborhood have embraced it. You feel and sense that different uptown vibe? Yeah, I I actually really appreciate it up there. Um, It's no bullshit. There are a couple things that you have to to deliver. You can never be late on the table. You can never have bad service. You can't have bad food. So th- I don't know how to ask this. Things are either scrutinized more or it's more relaxed downtown. Everybody wants good food, good service, good wine. I think it's, it's easier uptown. Yeah. Well, people don't want to be messed around. Like the, it's, it's, a, it's, a little bit more, it's a little bit of an older demographic up there. Right. But they don't want to be, they don't want their hands held. They've seen it. They've done it. They're right. well-traveled. You know, it's like they're both, they're all areas are great. I mean, that's the amazing thing about Manhattan. It's like we would never, like, we'd never do something above whatever street. But I really love it up there. It's like this, you know, it's really that building, that building. I mean, that Breuer, <laughs> that Breuer, no, that, that Breuer, that's some building. No, I've been, I've been going to the Marcel Breuer building for years. And it's well, when you, you were an art student. Yeah. I hope so. And, 
you know, just if you like every time I walk down this, the internal steps or look at a little detail on the steps or what you marvel at it. It's an amazing building. And it's plus the restaurant, the light, the windows, the windows, the foliage behind the, you know, it's a very interesting space. These original Edison bulbs that were built from Marcel and and all the original detailing. It's like it's crazy. It's pretty insane. So that's that's uh, Thomas's newest restaurant. That's Flora Bar on the Upper West Side. Um, interesting menu, interesting wine list. Um, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I just wanted to get your take. And Lewis, I'll start with you on natural wines. Is it a real movement? Is it important to uh, participate in it in restaurants? There's going to be a raw wine fair here in Brooklyn in November. It was very mm-hmm. successful last year. It's bigger yeah, this year. Yeah, LA this year too. I'm yeah, wondering. they're going the week one. later. Tell um, me your take on that. I think, I mean, I, I approach it from two angles. Like personally, I think that they're much more interesting. I'm, you know, that's that's kind of my my deal. Right. From the position of buying wine for a restaurant, I you, I think it's important to kind of set any kind of dogma aside and really just look at what works with the food, what works with the space you know, what, what kind of list you can write to provide the kind of experience that, that the totally. people coming in I think want. Flora and Estella would be two different, you know, orderless. Yeah. Right? That, that being said, the, you know, the reason that I think people freak out about natural wine is, is that when they're well-made and there's a skilled winemaker and they're, you know, they're stored properly and, like, when they're good, they're really good and they can provide a certain kind of flavor experience that you just don't get from, you know, conventionally made wines. Right. Um, the trade-off is, is they're much more, you know, Unstable and volatile, for I guess lack of a better word, some inconsistency. And um, but that that could be true with anything. There's crappy totally. traditional wines, absolutely. You know, so I think they get a little more, you know, heat for that. But I, it's a fair knock. What, what do you think? I think it's a very important. I, I'm just echoing what Lewis said. I think it's a very important platform. My, uh, you know, my first experiences with it. You know, some of these take sugaring wines for a more lengthy primary fermentation and burgundy but some of these guys are pretty damn close but who knows what's going on with their neighbor so doing it there right um or if you look at uh robert michel or alamon like some of these guys that i've been drinking for a while i brought it up to blue hill in 2009 when i was i heard about frank uh what's his name from cornelson yeah mm-hmm. from um from etna and i I heard about it from some somebody that was out there, and then I had to go through some Russian guy that was out of Las Vegas to get his <laughs> wines. But they were really cool. He, had, he gave me Magma and then Contadino. Is that the other one? Uh-huh. Yeah, which I, th- I poured him by the glass up there for years, and I really liked him. And yeah, you were able to sort of pick out and present to that, yeah. you know, market. Like I was saying before, it's like, uh, it's like punk music. It's like punk rock. I think it's a very important just to what it's done philosophically and for the for the wine world to get out of the hands of a few people that really hold it so closely and dearly and to open it up and bring other people into the fold i think it's really great i think that's a good take on it we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to subject uh, thomas and lewis to our wine list and see what they're drinking and maybe get some good recommendation recommendations you're listening to the grape nation on heritage radio network we'll be right back Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. 
We're back. We're back with my guests, Louis Fabrini and Thomas Carter from Estello Cafe Altro Paradiso and Flora Bar. I'm sorry we got into it before. I didn't promo the guys enough. All right, so I want to subject Louis and Thomas to our wine list. And guys, I'm going to ask you about five questions, buzz through them. Uh, this is spontaneous, so tell me what's on your mind. We'll go Lewis first, then Thomas second. So, Lewis, what are you drinking now? What are you tasting? What's you know on the bar? What's in the house? What you know? What 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 are you tasting through right now? Um, I think we've been kind of delving a little bit more into like Eastern European stuff. At okay, Estella. There's a lot of I mean, really like good bang for your buck type things from. Like Stavik, guys like that. Stavik, yeah, like um, the other guy in, in, uh, yeah, he's in Moravia Moravia with um, Milan Nesteretz is pretty cool. Okay. Um, Spell that for me, can you? Oh, man, N-E-S-T-A-R-E-C. Okay, because I want to post that. Um, He does, like, a pretty, like, tongue-in-cheek line of of super macerated white wines, but then some entry-level stuff that is is cheap and, and cheerful and really delicious. Um, and Spain too. I mean, th- it's probably the, the ideal time now to be drinking, um, more natural leaning Spanish wine in New York. There's some really cool stuff coming in that again is, give is, me one, uh, reco. Um, there's a priest called Alba. They're in, uh, San Lucar. So in, in Sherry country. Um, and they do unfortified still and sparkling wines from Palomino Fino. I don't think they own any grapes. I think they buy everything, okay. but, um, really compelling stuff really food friendly stuff it's also kind of fun to see such a, a malign grape that you know it's, it's notable for not really having any character of its own be very expressive of where it's from um so they're they're probably sounds good drinking. thomas what are you drinking now what have you been tasting not uh, not a month ago not you know what you're gonna order next week what 1990 lagrange that was actually really good Okay, <laughs> that's what I, we had last night. I, I can't lie; it was it was really delicious. Some old Bordeaux. I'm a sucker. I have to say. Okay. Um, no, you know, I I think that the one item, and the name escapes me, was the champagne that you turned me on to. Kind of blows my hair back. Uh, that from is 04. Frank Pascal. Yeah. P A S C A L. Yes. Frank really? Pascal. The from comes champagne. From- that yeah. Is, yeah, champagne. He's uh, Cote d'Ivoire. No, where is he? No, Marne, okay, Marne Valley. Marne. So sparkling wine, a little Bordeaux. Sounds I love. Good. Yeah, I love Pigatos because they're like Fiano. They show you know, depending on how the maker kind of cultivates them, they they have a very uh, ra- a wide range of you know their flavor profiles and they're you know I like I like easy wines nowadays. Okay, those are good ones. Yeah. Lewis, favorite wine and food pairing. Favorite wine and food pairing. Lewis's. Uh, I mean, what you. I mean, you don't have it all the time, but when you can or when you do, it's like, oh yeah, this is it. The it, just because it's two things that I don't like that that together makes me <laughs> like them. liver and manish. Uh, no, Go it's, ahead. yeah. Um, I, I really like to have uh, sea urchin, to have uni with like an off dry riesling. Two things that separately I think are kind of gross, but together I think make. I really think nice. you're wrong. I think uni is spectacular, and riesling is yeah. like the som som wine. Yeah, I don't. And I don't feel that. That's way. a take on. <laughs> that's a take on oysters and chablis. So that's that's a cool answer. What about you? I yeah. don't know if you can top that. Well, pressure's on. I see you look, squirming I, a little. I, I have to say that you know, there's a lot. I recall a lot of great pairings, but this one that's. <laughs> This one that stuck out when I went back home for Thanksgiving years ago to Chicago, we had like a very, uh, and it, once again, it comes from one thing that I typically just despise, which is American wine. And it was... In general? No, there's some good wines. Okay. But this is like a Ridge Montebello, and I have a lot of respect for him, but it's nothing... I, yeah, exactly. Not your type of wine. It's just not my thing. Like okay. I just never had any. What use about his Zins? Those are two. Yeah, whatever. So okay. this was Go like ahead. the Continue. it was like the LBV 1978, and we took a bottle of that to a place called Lem's Ribs, which is in the south side of Chicago, and you get your ribs through a a bulletproof rotating. <laughs> and I have to say, those two things together were it was. It so was, it was Lem's Ribs and and like I think it was 1978 late bottled vintage late vintage late bottled vintage Montebello or something okay. like that. And it was and that, of all the California wines, that's one of the few that could probably hold up from that. Vintage. It was really interesting, but you know. All right, next question: Outside of your places, which have been answers from other people on the show, 
Favorite wine restaurant and or bar? I'm looking for places that you go to, you've been to, where the selection, the service, the knowledge towards wine and the food are top notch. Give me a place or two. Uh, there's a place here in Brooklyn called Have and Meyer on Havemeyer Street. Okay. Uh, I think Have Meyer and Hope. Hmm. Um, First that, time anyone's ever said that. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I wish I knew more about the people behind it, but they have like a. a I don't know how they do it, but they have a stupid amount of really delicious uh, natural Italian wines open by the glass really? on the menu. Like great more, record. Like more than twenty or thirty, and it's like mostly like macerated stuff from great record all over. Have um, and Meyer have on yeah, Have and Meyer. Yeah, the name is yeah. Got it. <laughs> Thomas? Le Baritain in uh, Paris. Okay. Spell? B-A-R-I-T-A-N. Le Baritain. And is that a restaurant or more of a wine bar? No, it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant. Just great wine service, selection, food. Wine bars typically aren't my thing because unless I have food with it, it's just like, I I don't know. I need need food. Okay. So uh, this place is, it's it's a, she's from Argentina, the chef. And... Actually, that, the, wine, the, wine, the wine service is really bad unless somebody's nice to you, and then it's great. <laughs> but, you know, and, right. uh, but the food, it, it's, the food and the wine and the vibe and everything clicks. It's one of those places. It's like, an, it's, like it's their Stella. Right. Everything clicks, you right. know. They just got it going. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. Uh, Lewis, favorite all-time wine, if not one, one or two? Uh, 1978 Bruno Jacosa Santo Stefano Barbaresco. Is that a red label? Yeah. That's a red label. Okay. That was my favorite wine and favorite wine. I was working uh, in Hong Kong at the time, and I remember it was easily the nicest bottle of wine I'd ever opened. Um, it was from some fabulously wealthy Indonesian people, I think, and it was it was cool because it was the best thing I'd ever tasted, food or wine, period. Um, and then watching these guys like kind of shrug it off like eh whatever and then just like suck it down like it was any other plonk was instructive for, that's a good one I think that wine career. was around before you it correct? was okay yeah, but that's the one Do you have one Thomas yeah um, this could be a Bordeaux no 1968 uh, Master Berardino Tarassi ah tell people what Tarassi is Tarassi is a uh, region in Campania and Alianico and I like it for uh, it's. I like, you know, the wine is almost superfluous to the backstory of this wine. This is a time where there, you know, you come from a very. It wasn't very a very affluent region, and in the '60s, you don't have a. It's not a very big tourist region like it is now. It's is, is that area Campania? It's like it's got a fair amount of tourism. Yeah, you know, you have Campania's coming yeah. around, and Terrassi is you know. So it, it's not it's, crazy, but it's. There's, There's more awareness. They don't have an analogist. They're not dealing with UC Davis. They don't have, you know. That's a good one. Master Berardino Tarasi. All right. I think both of you are qualified to answer this. This is good info for uh, my listeners, especially my kids, because they're in their 20s. They're starting to make some money. They drink wine. They're going to dinner parties. They don't want to bring crappy wine, but they don't want to spend a lot of money. So I want each of you to give me... Best wine around fifteen bucks, up a little. Give me a red and a white. You could be specific. You could be regional, like you could say Muscadet, or you can give me, you know. So, Lewis, give me, give me a fifteen plus wine that shows better than its price. Red um, and a white. I think yeah, around like fifteen twenty bucks. I think that uh, like Alto Piemonte is always overlooked. Um, so Nebbiolo, not the first guy who's brought that up here. It's it's if you know it's it's their baby you know Barolo or Barbarescos, but you get to see Nebbiolo. It's a, it's a Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo right. based wines with some other like local blending partners, but um, they drink well young. They're usually not crazy expensive. Um, you know, like so that's a great Sassier. red. Give me a white. White. I'm, I'd probably go back to some Czech Republic stuff. Um, really, you see like some really delicious. What are some of the grapes that you know we'd be drinking? You see uh, Gruner, Vetliner. Okay. Um, you'll sometimes see like Mueller Turgau. Um, and the pricing will be in the fifteen twenty. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, talking and, that, and with like substantially more bang for your buck, just because I mean people aren't aren't flocking to Czech wines. All right. Yeah. Good call on that, Thomas. Mine are a little bit more on the beaten path. Um, for red, I like to frequent uh, southeast or so, sorry, southwest France, southeast too. Um, Syrah usually Grenache is never something. Usually, when you're dealing with these price points, you're talking about a wine in its youth. 
I'd usually veer away from Grenache in its, in its youth. Although you gave me the Padier, which was, uh, was, was Grenache was actually. So very you're good. saying you like Grenache, but you don't like drinking young Grenaches. Yeah, so you very, want some bottle aged from a good maker. Yeah, type but Syrah I think is a really beautiful variety in its youth and into it. Well, when you say Southwest, you're not talking Northern Rhone. No, I mean you know like. Like, give me a producer, um, if any come to mind. Well, you would have more of a mix. Like, um, I like. Um, you know, like Kemi Riviera brings in a lot of these fun wines from that region that you can get very affordable. Like, um, who was that? The distributor? Yeah. Spell it for me. I don't even know how to spell her name. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, yeah. Give me the last name. Riviera. R I V I E. All right, I'll, I'll look it up with an accent. I right, give me a white. White. I think you can you can do well because white wine. I I, I don't like I don't like botrytis in white wine very rarely. I like very steely, very acid forward, and um, I, I like the Jura for, you can get good bang for the buck still in the Jura. The Jura is great, definitely yeah. for that price. All right, so we're going to post those answers. We'll post them on Instagram at some point, and they'll go on the Grape Nation Facebook page. That's at the Grape Nation on Facebook. All right, good choices, guys. Thank you for that. We're going to finish the show up with our last segment, which is the weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste a 2012 Francois Chedain Vouvray Les Argies. Argier, Argier. Not good at French. Um, it's a Chenin Blanc, a white wine from the Loire in France. Chedain is known for growing biodynamically and organic. Um, this wine in current vintages retails for about 20 25 bucks, and it's available at better wine shops. Anything else we need to know about this guy or the region? Lewis, can you add anything? Not the uh, wine yet, just because we're going to taste sure. it. Already. I mean, the region is it's, it's, it's tough to get a beat on Vouvray just because of the variety of styles it can be made in. It can be bone dry and pretty aromatic. It right. can have, this is a sec. Yeah, this guy has yeah. some sugar. But um, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's a word that people know and then a wine that people really know nothing about. So it's, it's kind of a fun... Appalachian to uh, to dig in, and is Shadain regarded enough in that region? It's a big wine, yeah. huh? I mean, all right. So let's taste it now. Um, all right, let's look at the color first, guys. You have okay. So it's sort of a pale, golden, not light, not deep. We agree on that. Mm-hmm. Lewis, pour yourself some more if you need more, and give Thomas some more. So it's sort of a pale yellow. Let's go nose on this, guys. I get it's a little. Good. I get a little fruit. It's very generous. Yeah, it's uh, stone fruit. I, yeah, I was, like ripe stone fruit. Yeah. Stone. When you said it's generous, I, I picked up on that. Too. Yeah, it's, it's like fair. you know, it's a big wine, but it's balanced. It's got good acidity. All right, so let's let's go mouthfeel. Let's. Whenever throw. I think of this region, I also think of seven year. You know, because seven year is like it's more austere, bigger brother, and Bouvray right. is more of this generous, open, open kind of counterpoint to it, but also very ageable. All right, so mouthfeel, Lewis. Um, the feel is good. The texture is good. Um, you, you feel medium, the, medium plus, right? I say medium, medium plus. Pretty mouth some, filling. It has some weight. You, you kind of feel the sugar a little bit. Um, kind of has like a almost like a oily texture to it, which yeah, is nice. It's a little yeah. unctuous. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty creamy. It's pretty pretty plush. Did an interesting job with like playing with the leaves and then to its acid component. Yeah, it has it good. Balance. I mean, the length is good for how kind of fleshed out it is. Yeah. I think. The length on the palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the acidity it, is still there. I mean, it, it coats it's, and stays a little. Yeah. All right, let's go palate. What are we tasting on this wine? Uh, in pretty much in line with the nose. Yeah, same, it's pretty consistent. Same kind of fruit yeah. quality. Um, Good length. Good acidity. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think the acidity is. I mean, the alcohol is high, but the acidity is high. What's the alcohol in that? It's like thirteen uh, percent. I don't know. Is it? too high for you or it's just detectable no, I think to you it's, no, it's I okay think it's, I, I think it's fine I, I think it's just because like this wine for me is screaming for like some kind of salad so this is with, with this is 19 23 bucks good value for a bottle like this 23 dollars in a, in, a, in a store yeah so that means yeah no forget restaurant i'm talking and when i asked you for the 15 dollar wines i meant retail I, I like the wine a lot but it's like knowing this if i saw this on the shelf next to something else i'd probably go for the other thing 
for less money or for same? less money? Okay. Like if this was like it was on the shelf for like twelve or thirteen bucks? It's not. So it's definitely not. To no, your point, it's very you'll find wines that'll drink to your taste. But I know a lot of people that will drink that's very happily for that. It's a very affordable price point for such a well put together right. wine. What would we pair this with, Lewis? Um, cheese. Uh, anything really? Did you say cheese? Che- I said cheese, <laughs> but yeah, no, if you want, cheese. if cheese is Coffee. the answer you want, you could definitely go with um, cheese. No, give me, give me a pairing for this. Um, I like this kind of stuff where you know it's it's it, it, the acidity to me is the thing about this wine that is is the standout. So raw fish, something kind of you know some kind of crudo dish, maybe something with a little bit of spice too. I think that Shannon can play nicely with with some heat. Um, yeah, I mean it's got enough weight it could stand up. I think a little bit later into your dinner with some more substantial stuff, but I would I would drink this with. Some raw seafood. Okay. So before we wrap up, just answer this question for me, for my listeners. So this is a Chenin Blanc. That's the grape. The bottle is marked as Vouvray. Mm. I don't even know if the word Chenin Blanc are on the bottle. What's the distinction or difference between Vouvray and Chenin Blanc? Nothing. Well, Vouvray is the region. Chenin Blanc right. is the variety. The grape. Of course, right. and I believe that anytime you put Vouvray or use that designation, it's the it's the white variety that reigns supreme in that region. Right. It has to be Chenin so Blanc because there's a lot of Chenin Blanc. So when you go and buy Vouvray, it's a Chenin Blanc from the Vouvray region, which is Always. what I was trying to get to. All right, so go around the table. Like this wine? Love this wine? Okay. What do you think? I think objectively, it's a very good wine. It's it's you know okay. you, it, it's put together very so well. You like it? Yeah. I, well, objectively, <laughs> I like it. Subjectively, <laughs> well, you stated that you don't love it, Lewis. Same feelings, a little <laughs> I, different. I I feel the same. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> Mike. Do you like this wine? Yeah, I like it. David. Okay. So do you like it? Um, I think I'm it's not very a big Vouvray guy. <laughs> I was just at a like tasting, it. and I almost just got thrown out because I was just railing on it. And I love Shannon, but it just wasn't – it didn't do it for me. This wine I like. I agree with you. It's a good food wine. It's tasting well. But I think there's other wines um, value-wise. Yeah, like that. wines are like people. Like, do I want to hang out with this person for how right. long? That's exactly Like, we'll it. have a quick conversation, but, like, I'm out. Like, I've had enough of this person. That's it. All right, guys, we got to wrap up the show. If you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. I'll post Thomas and Lewis's wine list uh, answers, and I'll also post uh, the wine that we tasted um, please follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, hashtag grape nation, the grape nation, Twitter at benruby, and Thomas and Lewis. I don't know if I didn't dig deep enough, but you guys seem fairly inept on social media. Do I, I couldn't find an Instagram account or something? Well, I'm going to give you in, Lewis's Instagram account. Right and I now. don't want so so. This is my worst fear. No, no, no! I'm not going to press you. So, Thomas, the restaurants, the restaurants are are at um, Estella, New York City. Yeah. Uh, Altro Paradiso. Yeah, correct. And at Flora Bar. Yeah, New York Flora, City. Flora Bar NYC, is it? I don't even remember. So these are terrific restaurants. That's why I asked these guys on. You could either Google them and you'll get to their web pages, or you could follow them on social media. Um, guys, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you to Thomas Carter. Thank you to Louis Fabrini. Thank you to our engineer, Vitor, as always, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. We don't want to leave without saying that our hearts and thoughts go out with everybody out in Napa and Sonoma. We hope that everyone is safe. Don't take your eye off of those wines. They live off of uh, tourism and sales. So, you know, stay with those guys. Some of those guys are as well. Yeah, true. But this is the current thing. But fair, okay? (laughs) Um, I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.